lustrous locks. Anglo fees. Gettle's gone geek. I met this terrific girl and I really, really, really like her. But the thing is that. Look, go on, say it. I, say it. Not sure whether I. I, I want to love her or eat her. Once upon a time, there were three girls, one of which who emailed Kevin and said, Hey, Kevin, I want to do a damn podcast. And Alina and Kaylee want to do one with me. Can I? And Kevin said, Yes. And we all lived happily ever after so far. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode, I don't even know. Five? Five? It's five. Episode five of Anglophies, where we are joined by Noel. Yay. Hello. And we are going to be talking about fairy tales and modern adaptations of fairy tales and happily ever afters and old fairy tales and all of their rapey, rapey glory. Yay. And hideous murder. And hideous murder, and sometimes children starve. It's sad. Or get eaten. I, yeah, so or sad. get eaten. Or get magic diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> Happily ever cannibalism. Exactly. So, to start us, oh, I suppose we should, you know, introduce ourselves. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And, and I'm Kaylin Gao, best selling author of the Frost series. <laughs> This is playing on NBC, right? Oh, uh, it might no, be CBS. If or it was going to be time. on any network, I'd want one that you know is actually doing things. So clearly, it's on AMC. No, Noel is here. It has to be uh, HBO. Yes, I'm Noel. <laughs> Hello. Or you could just yes. show it on the BBC. You can get away with anything on the BBC. <laughs> on a shoestring budget. This is my continuous quest to infuse myself on every aspect of the Made of Fail network. Not like we invited you or anything. No. No, not at all. No. I just showed up. <laughs> so do we have to call you an Anglo Garçon? It sounds like he needs a bow tie. Kind of does. <laughs> Garçon. Garçon. I mean, if he were any closer, then we would just have to make him bring us coffee and stuff and <laughs> signal with that freaky French way people do. I don't really know where I was going with that. And I'm that. trying to think of something silly to say in a French accent, and my mind is blanking. Garçon, bring us a podcast topic. <laughs> sure thing. Give me a few hours. Yeah, we don't have a couple hours. Well, um, well, I think we already set up what the podcast topic is. Right, That's we did. Right. We actually uh, have come prepared, people. We did. I did my homework. There was homework involved. Um, people who There was involved- an assignment? Is there going to be a test? Yes. Pop quiz, hotshot. Does it count towards <laughs> my semester grade? Yes. Okay. Yes, not only that, if you fail the pop quiz, you don't get to major in whatever it is you're majoring in. Oh, well, um, that's tragic. That is tragic. So, I hope you fail or pass or something. Okay, so, fairy tales! <laughs> <laughs> and their modern adaptations. And their modern adaptations. I recently... By recently, I mean before Christmas. Um, got a beautiful leather-bound copy of uh, the Complete Tales of the Brothers Grimm. It's gorgeous. It's not the Philip Pullman translation and adaptation. And there's a story about that. I go to sleep listening to NPR stories. 
on my iPad, and I had listened to the interview with Philip Pullman about them, about his translations, and I woke up going, oh, I really need to get a copy of the Brothers Grimm. I wonder which one I should get. And this one was just so pretty. I completely forgot that it was Pullman I really wanted because I was mostly asleep during that interview. <laughs> True story. So so whose <laughs> translation is the pretty one? Uh, the pretty one has an introduction by Ken Monshin, PhD. Um, it's a Canterbury Classics and I have no idea who did the translations. So it's in original German? No. <laughs> no, if it were in German, that would be a big problem, because I can't read German. I wonder if it's the older public domain translations. Probably. Which means probably slightly less rapey and gruesome. No, it's, pretty, it's still pretty gruesome, all on its own. Really, if you think about some of these stories, like even take Little Red Riding Hood, there's a whole lot of being eaten and then being cut out of bellies and really it's quite bloody well in the the oldest version of little red riding hood she doesn't get rescued by the wolf the wolf brings her into her grandmother's house where he's already killed and eaten grandma and then he's like little red cap why don't you take off your dress and throw it in the fire and take off your shoes and throw it in the fire and until she's naked and then he eats her and that's the end of the story. The moral being, little girls should stay away from rapists and seducers because they're bad people. One of the few Grimm's tales that I've read is The Robber Bridegroom, mm-hmm. which is it's essentially an Eli Roth movie of, <laughs> of this one woman and her potential fiancé sitting down for dinner. And then she recounts the story of how she hid in the basement and watched him cut up and dismember people. And then, you know, everyone turns on him and cuts up and dismembers him. Wow. And, and that's I'm- the story. <laughs> And of course, we all know and love the original version of Sleeping Beauty, <laughs> in which the prince comes across Sleeping Beauty sleeping in the in the middle of the forest, goes, wow, what a pretty corpse, and has sex with her, and rides away. And she wakes up after, after the babies have started suckling on her boobs. And one no, of them it sucks actually, the it suckled finger. on her finger. And yeah, and sucked the thorn oh, out of the finger. Right. That's right. And then sometime later, the prince comes of the forest, and you're like, hey, you're that girl I raped. And you have kids. My wife doesn't have kids. (laughs) Actually, the version I read was that she tracked him down and was like, dude, you're the father of my baby. Fucking marry me. And but then he went to his stepmother, who was a a sorceress, and she tried to kill Sleeping Beauty. But Sleeping Beauty ended up pushing her over into the cauldron and killing her. And the prince was thus forced to marry her. And that's the end. As someone with incredibly long hair, I've always been a fan of the original Rapunzel, which comes with all of the blinding and pregnancy that was just missing from every other adaptation. <laughs> yeah. Kind of glad this is stuff that the recent versions gloss over. Yeah, my my roommate, when we watched Tangled, was kind of like, where does this whole thing where her tears heal him come from? And that's from the, that's from the original that she finds him wandering out in the desert after he has been blinded and she's got these babies because she was like, Mother Gothel, why are you so much less heavy than the prince? Also, I'm kind of getting fat. I don't get it. 
<laughs> and then she finds the prince out in the desert, and she her tears drop into his eyes, and his eyes magically grow back, and everything is fine, and they live happily ever after. With no psychiatric issues whatsoever. That's what we need a Disney musical about, a, a woman figuring out pregnancy after having been raped by a prince. <laughs> what does Actually, this mean? Really this sort of I, is um, kind of one of the subplots of Into the Woods. Why do I suddenly throw up every morning? <laughs> what are these strange cramps that I feel? Actually, I'm surprised Sondheim didn't include that in Into the Woods. That seems <laughs> like that would be right up his alley, to be honest. Maybe he'll include it in the movie. They each add original songs to get Oscar nominations. Ugh. I still have feelings about that. I know we covered it extensively last month, but I still have feelings about that. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, moving away from Raiden's feelings before they take over. <laughs> so I think one of the specific things we're covering here are when the modern world clashes with fairy tales. Yes. Yes. So the the reason that we wanted to talk about this topic is because Lena said, "Oh, can we do can we do uh, an episode about the Tenth Kingdom?" And we all said, "Sure." I love the Tenth Kingdom. Who doesn't love the Tenth Kingdom? It has... And I said, I love the Tenth Kingdom. And you're like, come along. That's right. And I... Follow our breadcrumbs into the forest. Don't love the Tenth Kingdom anymore. <laughs> oh. I'll admit it didn't quite hold up to a rewatch for me either. Really? Because I... I enjoyed it, but it's there's issues. I enjoyed I... it for what it was, but it was a lot cheesier than I remembered it being. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're breaking. Yeah, that sound you hear right now is Alina's heart breaking. <laughs> well, I think also one of the problems was I watched all seven hours of it in just the last day and a half. And so I think I. It, it works better to spread it out a little more. See, not for me. I love it all the way through. And Scott Cohen, John Larroquette, Rutger Hauer. Yeah, the Rutger Hauer was At, at least John Larroquette was giving a great performance. People don't understand. You okay. don't appreciate true art. True art? Okay. Okay, first off, I mean, look, fairy tales and the Brothers Grimm, they are very, they're lupine phobes. They are anti-wolf. They're wolfists. I haven't quite figured out the right term, and I hate that. Well, and we also don't really get a wolf here. What we get is the dog from the Began Strips commercials. Yeah, we, what we get is an Irish setter, a demented Irish setter on meth. <laughs> Yeah. There, there's nothing wolf-like about him. I mean, it's no, obviously... A, so, for obviously, for sake, be a goddamn wolf. Come on. Obviously, someone had seen the Tex Avery short, Red Hot Riding Hood. The one with the wolf howling and thumping mm-hmm. the table as he's watching the dancer. That's not a wolf. No. No. To be fair, when I first watched this when I was younger, I really didn't care because he was very attractive. Yes, exactly. You know, he looks the part perfectly. He does. He looks the part great. It's also, it's... it's also fun watching him in the post-Twilight atmosphere. With the, I don't know if I want to love her or eat her. Yeah, I don't know if I want to eat her or marry and his, her. <laughs> his complete refusal to respect boundaries. He, he's, yeah. he's, he's almost a retroactive parody of the YA bad boy. <laughs> really ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> but I, lo- I, I actually love the bit where, he, where one one meeting with a therapist and suddenly he's buying all these self-help books and trying to fix himself. That, that was really funny. and well, It was the, very much a trait of his character that he goes overboard, like when he wants to propose in Love Town, mm-hmm. right? And it's like the, the most money-spendiest, biggest proposal ever. Like that's... Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything by halves. It's true. He does everything by like an exponential, exponential something. Yeah. 
And I love that he's actually, they're reading those books he bought throughout the story. Yeah. Like all of them get into it. They're all just <laughs> reading those books. So Man, I haven't finished with that page yet. Turn it back. <laughs> When I was in, um, when I started university, um, I went to the the, the student theatre group, and we had this special. Um, everyone could join in, and they had to write a ten minute play, and it had to be around the theme of Disney movies. So our play was based on the idea that all the Disney characters go into therapy because they're struggling with how their lives ended after the movies, and the fact that DreamWorks is beating them at everything. <laughs> and it just reminded me so much of watching the wolf and everyone else reading those therapy books because I thought I wish we'd written that into it. Okay, I think we should at this point stop assuming that our uh, listeners have all have all seen it. Well, we it. should explain what the tenth king is. So the tenth. Sorry. Apologies, <laughs> guys. Is a mini series uh, based on the idea that the kind of the big classic fairy tales such as Snow White and Cinderella all exist in like this one land where every fairy tale is its own kingdom and there is uh, a magical portal between that world a mirror a mirror of course a magic mirror that is a portal between that world and new york city and a young woman named virginia and her father played by john larroquette uh get kind of caught up in the intrigue of the evil queen who's been imprisoned but manages to escape and, uh, she and she has, tries to take over the kingdom. She, she tries to take over and she needs her stepson uh, in a certain position to do so. She turns him into a dog and then the, the stepson as a dog escapes through the mirror into New York. And a wolf uh, is commissioned a by ha- the... A half wolf. Well, half I, I don't know. Like, they never ta- They always call him wolf. They don't say he's a werewolf, but he basically looks like a man. And in a very slick yeah, pinstripe suit. Yeah, he has a tail that, we, that Virginia pets off screen. Um... <laughs> Did anyone else get a touch my penis vibe from that scene? Yes. I think you were supposed to explain to it. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what you were supposed to get from that, Noel. I know, but it's like, wow, we're really going this far. Yes. Yes. And um, so the wolf tracks them down. To, they actually don't spend very long in New York because uh, the gang, the entire gang, very soon is transported back into that magical land. And then... For Virginia and her father, it's all about trying to get back home. Uh, for the prince, it's all about to get back to human form and not let his evil stepmother take over the kingdoms. And for the wolf, it's all about eating or marrying Virginia. He can't quite pick. Yeah. Although we're we're pretty certain that very soon into the story, he leans towards Mary. It's true. It's true. He, he does have a series of existential crises. <laughs> and he has self-help books. He has to help him through. Um, it's it's a very charming story. Uh, makes fun of a lot of old fairy tales. There's a group of inept trolls hunting them. <laughs> well, what I what I like about this one is that all these fairy tales exist in this world, but they all happened like 300 years ago. That's right. And so mm-hmm. this is like generations later. Mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. like that angle. I love that all the kingdoms were united by the women. It was all, all it was like all the women who married the royalty ended up actually doing all the hard work. I love that. Oh, and Anne Margaret plays like two hundred year old Cinderella. <laughs> I Cam- love her stink. And Cameron Mannheim is Snow White, which even that at the time so- I was like, Yes, fat girl is a princess. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I, m- I remember that actually a lot of the press got into that. Mm-hmm. Even though she was in the series for like no, I know, but she, she was, but she was really huge on what was what was the, the legal show that she was on, the practice, practice, yeah. No, and she there was she did a lot of press interviews for it, and that always came up of yes, big girls can be pretty princesses too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, I I like that that these 
princesses who went through the very fucked up circumstances of the original Grimm stories came out of it as the leaders of this world who united it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, and, and I, I like Cinderella was kind of vain. I thought that was pretty, because <laughs> you know, she's one of the sort of the ultra ultra noble characters of fairy tales. So to see her be a little bit less, but she just wanted to be a pretty. And princess. Her creaking bones yeah. and coughing as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's also very sharp to mm-hmm. a degree. Yeah. Yeah, like the old uh, the the evil queen knows that in order for her fake prince to be accepted, like he has to fall. The two hundred. Yeah, yeah. Well, world. we should say that while the prince is turned into a dog, a dog is turned. The dog a is turned into a prince, and I, I don't remember who the the name of the actor who plays the prince. But I actually think he does a really good job as it's Daniel the Golden Le Pen. Retriever has it suddenly is, become but, a person. It is, but that's a very idiotic portrayal of golden retrievers. It's a very breedist <laughs> stereotype. <laughs> Oh, I'd like to mention, for those who haven't seen, Diane Weist plays the Evil Queen, and Rutger Hauer plays the Huntsman This uh, from the Snow White, uh, yeah, Snow White stories, who's kind of in love with her. They have a weird romance. Kind of. It was dark and sexy. It depended it, it on how Rutger Hauer decided to play it each day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if, Sometimes uh, it was creepy. If there sometimes... is anyone listening to this podcast who has not seen Lady Hawk, you need to reevaluate your life and go see Lady Hawk. I need to go see right Lady Hawk. What's Lady Hawk? Oh my god, Kaylee. Oh wow. Oh I haven't seen it, but I know of it. It's one of my mom's it's, films. I haven't seen it yet. It's it's a fantasy movie from the eighties starring Rucker Hauer and Michelle Pfeiffer. And they're and Matthew Broderick. And Matthew Broderick. <laughs> by day, she's a hawk. By night, he's a wolf. They're separated by a curse. And it's beautiful. It's awesome. It's a little bit cheesy. It's from um, the guy who wrote Blade Runner, Unforgiven, and 12 Monkeys. And it's just, it's seriously, it's an incredible movie. You have to kind of get past the. 80s techno soundtrack in the opening credits um but once you do that it is seriously one of the best movies of the 80s okay i'll add that to the increasingly long list of things i need to check out at some point in my life Uh, (laughs) please didn't get any shorter (laughs) move it up to like the top 25 percent of that list (laughs) you will not regret it that's it now 10th kingdom was when did that come out Uh, 2000 2000. Yep. Right. So that's not too long ago. Fairly recent. Um, I didn't. I didn't see it until much later. I've only seen it on DVDs. But I think uh, some of us can talk about kind of the impact at the time. How was it received I, at the time? Or I did see talking? a chunk of it at the time. I know a lot of surprisingly a lot of kids because I graduated in 2000, and a lot of kids in high school were actually surprisingly fans of the Hallmark miniseries that were being done. Most of them produced by Robert Helmy Sr. and Jr. at the time. And, you know, we had Gulliver's Travels. We had The Odyssey, Arabian Nights, uh, Jason and the Argonauts. A lot of these really big, spectacular things. Jim Henson Studios did a lot of the effects for them. I don't think they did Tenth Kingdom, but they did for a lot of them. And uh, this one came, and a lot of people talked about it. And, in fact, that's where I, I, I missed most of it when it aired, but I got a novelization that I borrowed from a kid at school. And a lot of people talked about it. A lot of people liked it, but apparently it didn't do very good in the ratings. Mm -hmm. Talk Mm -hmm. about the novelization for a bit, because I think you're the only one of us who's read it. 
about 13 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, I, I remember it being very good. I mean, what's nice is that it's a nice dense story that, you know, you stick in a novelization and they don't really have to add anything. So it's, it's not all that different. I think mm-hmm. there were, because they, they didn't have actor improv going over some of the bits. Some of the lines are different, but it's otherwise, it was, it was a good read. It was by Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush, who have written a lot of novels. They most, they mostly do tie in fiction, but I think they're among the stronger tie-in fiction writers. They do a lot of Star Trek books. Mm-hmm. So as you just said, like it didn't do that well commercially mm-hmm. at the time it came out, but it does have a quite a strong fan following. It's built a very strong cult following, and that mm-hmm. cult following was with it from the first time it came out, because right. I remember in high school a lot of people were talking about it. To the point where there's been some vocal demands for sequels. Yeah, well, a lot of those vocal demands come from the writer himself. Yeah. Simon Moore. Who, who, I think it's fairly certain from the way it ends that, I mean, the story's wrapped up, but the way it ends is fairly certain, it makes it fairly obvious that he wanted mm-hmm. a part two. And apparently from like the year this came out, he had a part two outlined and he tried to get it sold and he's been trying over for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't really heard anything beyond 2006, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's had an entire sequel and there's actually a, an entire outline that's online that we can probably link to in the show notes mm-hmm. that he himself has released through the official Once Upon a Time fan newsletter. So it's <laughs> it's at least a popular enough miniseries to have at least one fan newsletter. <laughs> All right. Um, why don't we just go in the round robin and pick out some of our favorite scenes or parts from the miniseries? Oh. Let's start with Noel, the guest of honor. <laughs> Um, my, one of my favorite bits is actually when they go to the, um, oh, what was it? The, the Valentine town or whatever. Love town, I think. Love town. And I love how they're trying to raise this money to buy the mirror that they've been chasing all this time. And the wolf wins all the money, but he blows it all trying to create this big impressive date where he wants to propose to, to, um, Virginia. Virginia Wolf, get it guys, get it. (laughs) (laughs) And then when she finds out, you know, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, it was, just, it was a nicely plotted sequence, uh, including a singing wedding ring or engagement ring. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't confirm. I couldn't find the name of the actress who did that in the credits, but my God, does that sound like Jennifer Darling, who voiced Hayaka in the Tenchi Muyo dub? Uh, and the IMDb. Did you check IMDb? I have it open right now. Yeah, but I couldn't find singing ring. Singing ring, Kate Robbins. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> and did she sound like Jennifer Darling? Okay. So that's Noel. How about you, Raiden? Oh, okay. I'll I'll be honest here. And I got to the singing wedding ring yesterday afternoon and was just like, oh, I can't. I can't. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I fast forwarded like, that. I, like, there. I just found that too much. So, I like that it acknowledges how annoying it is. So I, I mean, like just the whole pile of everything was just like, I can't take Wolf's manic... Man- mania anymore. I can't take any of this. Um, but I did like the the hair and the Rapunzel sequence and Virginia being like, I'm not going to bed until all my hair is dry. And I'm like, honey... You have 10 feet of it. Oh, <laughs> 20 feet, I think, by that. <laughs> That's love, not going to happen. I love the honest bit there where they're climbing her hair and she's just like, ow! <laughs> and he's like, gray hair, I do not... Or dandruff, I do not have dandruff! Found another gray hair! It's like, yeah, that's that's gonna go well in your your pursuit of Virginia there, Wolf. Yeah. Keep going. Good job. Good job. 
I don't think the self-help books covered that scenario. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so I'm going to have to... I mean, I, I actually thought as her hair was growing out, she looked really pretty with the long hair, and I hated the pixie cut, but I hate pixie cuts in general, and we'll get to that when we talk about Once Upon a Time. <laughs> Kaylee, how about you? <laughs> I have a couple moments. All of this stuff where sort of reference more semi-modern pop culture I found really funny like the the fact that the trolls found a stereo where they could listen to the brothers gib yes the deadly fever I love I love their entire reaction is the batteries dying as well I was I was in stitches with that bit John Larkett and his magnificent set of pipes with my with whiter shade of pale Tony Award winning John Larroquette. <laughs> John Larroquette is the star of this series. For me. Yeah, no, very much so. Steals all the scenes. I love that he's he's just constantly on this hapless get rich scheme throughout <laughs> the series, and it always blows up in his face. And my my favorite sequence was um, the farmer town with the Sally Peep. <laughs> so I love from the beginning when they walk in and the shepherdesses are all over Wolf and you'll I'm afraid you'll huff and you'll puff and you'll blow all my clothes off <laughs> starting with that but really the centerpiece of that scene is Virginia she takes part in a competition in the shepherdess competition and at one point they have to sing sheep songs and somebody already did Baba Black Sheep and all that so she doesn't know what to sing and her dad's like sing any song put sheep words on it so it is we will rock you transformed into we will shear you and it's brilliant it's awkward until everyone in the crowd starts stomping John, along yeah. <laughs> you've got wool in your face you big disgrace waving your fleece all over all the over place, the place. <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, and I at love... the first verse, they're looking at her like, "What is she? What just happened?" And then it's a smash cut to everybody's totally into it, which is like the most obvious joke in the book, but it usually works. always works. Um, and it has now the 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 subplot of that, the tension of that entire sequence is that it's almost a full moon, so Wolf is at his wolfiest. Uh, he's, he's in the middle of his cycle. Yeah, he's in the middle of his cycle, so he's a little moody, and he needs a buddy to cuddle. <laughs> and he cuddles the shit out of that bunny. <laughs> I think it's very strongly implied he ate the bunny. But... He, he told, what, I, what happened to the bunny I gave you? Yeah. He hopped Nothing. away. Nothing. It hopped away, yeah. <laughs> and it's a bit of a murder mystery because Sally Peep gets murdered. And of course, everybody wants to. to I, I love that it's a, a jury of sheep. Because there are a bunch of wolf fists. Yeah. I love that. All the sheep who go, think he's guilty go into the right pen. All the sheep who think he's innocent go to the left pen. Why is the right pen full of food? <laughs> Oh, so it's, and I like that the town, the village idiot is like, oh no, my dad was the real village idiot. I'm just a halfwit. Oh. <laughs> and his lifelong dream is to be a, a, like a complete idiot. It's good to have goals. Yes. So that, that was probably my favorite sequence in the, in the miniseries. It's very long. It's filled with great sequences. Yeah. I, this was the first time I watched it in a decade. I forgot just how silly the humor was at times. Mm. It does. It sometimes it it does go on a bit much, especially with like the the troll kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and Wolf. Wolf was a lot campier than I thought than I remembered him being. But I do think it's in some ways it's a really good reflection of what we opened with. It's how 
gruesome some of what happens is but in a silly tone like with these fairy tales because yeah. you know the evil I don't queen, think they could have gotten away with some of the darker aspects had they not had it be so light right the, the queen like slaughters this entire farming family to prepare an ambush for the troll king well and even just how much time we spend with the troll king and then suddenly they're waving around his severed head yeah there's, <laughs> there's that um I like to point out the troll king is portrayed by Ed O'Neill Ed O'Neill so Ed O'Neill like just post married with children so it was this was one of his first quote-unquote dramatic roles yeah it was like before we realized that he could actually act yeah this was when he was trying to break into dramatic roles i think dragnet he would do that a couple years later and Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and And now he's just doing comedy again and like i mentioned like yeah but not Modern family, but he's yeah, but he's not doing Bundy comedy. Yeah, no. Yeah. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the the Queen and Huntsman have a weird dark romance in that she gave him a weapon that killed his child, and now rather than like he went insane over it in a way that he's like, I'm just gonna be in love with this woman because the alternative is the to only like way I can cope. She's <laughs> giving me the only purpose I can cope with now. Yes, exactly. So it's uh. It's it's a very we we mentioned earlier if we if we said that this film kind of before its time made fun of the new YA I think that romance yeah. is kind of dark yeah. very dark inversion so that's but they would be younger and have a lot more sex if it was the, the yeah the new adult yeah <laughs> 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 sorry <laughs> and they so, would probably do it right next to the body of his dead son and no you have such potential. Yeah, right. That, I'm sure that fanfic exists somewhere, as we all know, right? Well, I, I have read a YA version of Red Riding Hood, and I really didn't like it. And there was some controversy over that, and as there usually is when I talk about these things. But you can read it, that, actually. You can get it. It's called Sisters Red by Jackson Pierce. But as far as I know, there's no, like, you know, a adja- corpse adjacent sex. So you can add that yourself. Actually, and I'm just, I'm surprised was- at how dark and trippy this series gets in like its last hour mm-hmm. kind of like it kind of takes a turn in the swamp when she has the really trippy nightmare dream about her mother and like the whole white room full of apples and all that stuff and yeah and like, then, virginia has real trauma that plays out that like, has nothing to do yeah. with romance or anything like that and yeah. i like that she finds her mom but it doesn't shy away from the fact that no the mom was still a very fucked up person mm-hmm. we're not going to spoil it completely for people who want to watch it afterwards it uh, but it gets there's a connection, like you know, Virginia's kind of not here by accident, mm-hmm. um, and it, you know, it's it, there's real emotions here involved. Yeah, and real- I feel like it got a little rushed in the final episode when they're trying to wrap everything up. I would have liked to have seen a little more of that. Actually, there's a lot more sort of relationships throughout the series. I would like to have seen developed more. I would love to have seen more of the Huntsman and the Queen for one. You no, know, this is this is a, such an episodic show that I can I can almost see this as like the first 13 episode season of a TV series. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's very episodically structured in that okay we go to this town and something happens we go to this town and something happens and it's like throughout the season they're trying to find this mirror mm-hmm. yeah and I mean, every time they find it an obstacle comes up and then they have to go off somewhere else and find it yeah yeah i mean yeah, that's true. i i have to say that i'm kind of glad that the heyday of the the 10 hour long miniseries is pretty much over i think this was <laughs> oh peak. my god yeah. this this is exhausting it's this a commitment was, this was the peak i think they never did any other miniseries that were longer than two or three parts after this or at least right. at least that the helmy produced ones mm-hmm. this this was like their big one this was like the big peak and then after that they kind of dwindled they did still have some good ones after like they, they did merlin with sam neill that was a good one yeah i remember that one 
See, that well, entire structure is quite common here for miniseries, so I'm used to it. Well, but what's uh, usually though with miniseries though, you're adapting a work, and it it usually works to have like one long continuous story. Whereas what surprised me about Tenth Kingdom was how it is broken up into episodes, and you could almost it's almost plays more like a TV series than a miniseries. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying that as a criticism. It's just an interesting different structure. This might be a good place to mention uh, some of the newer miniseries kind mm-hmm. of fairy tale slash fairy tale like book adaptations. Yeah. That have the, come. Uh, the Halmies, uh, these earlier miniseries were done with Hallmark Enter- Entertainment, but they kind of broke off and did a series of miniseries on their own under RHI Entertainment. And they most recently did Tin Man, Alice, and Neverland. Mm-hmm. And I think Tin Man is very much a kind of spiritual successor to Tenth Kingdom, and that it's a similar story of a modern-day girl and goes into a, a world where it's the fairy tales happened but generations ago, and this is... These are the generations that followed. And if you think about it, Alice has a very similar storyline to the girl that goes into this world and through her, one of her missing parent has a connection to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Al- Alice, Alice was kind of neat in how it did this kind of 60s odd <clears throat> type thing like Avengers and Prisoner. Mm-hmm. And it's only, uh, it's only two episodes. They're an hour and a half each. Mm-hmm. So obviously much shorter. Tin Man, and, I think, was three. Right, Tin I Man mean, just suffers. I don't like Zoe Deschanel and Tin Man. <laughs> I like Zoe Deschanel. I just don't think she was right for that part. And in in case people kind of haven't seen, Tin Man is the one based on uh, the Wizard of Oz, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be called the OZ because mm-hmm. they in the oh, story God. they, they have, <laughs> because in the story it, they're in a dimension called the OZ, the Outer Zone, and but you know the TV series Oz was still running at the time, so mm. they. And Alice is, of course, Alice in Wonderland, and Neverland is Peter Pan. It's kind of Peter Pan prequel, I believe. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's about Cap. It's it's basically Captain Hook is the good guy, and Peter Pan is the bad guy. And how did they end up forcing one another into changing roles? Mm-hmm. Right. And uh... I think their most the most recent Halmy produced one was the miniseries of Treasure Island with Eddie Izzard. I can't get over him in that role. I've seen it. It's actually pretty solid. It's like, no, you can't be Long John Silver as a Lizard. It's just so weird. <laughs> He's so bald and yes. everything. It's so distracting. <laughs> so yeah, so they still do a miniseries like every every year or every other year. Mm-hmm. They don't quite have as... I and mean, like back in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were doing like three, four a year. Yeah. Right. Alice was pretty good too. I really liked it. I, I especially liked... Um, it was Cole Meany and the Queen was... Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates, thank you. Mm. So they they played the 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 Queen of Hearts and like the King her consort in the in the Neverland. It's it's a little bit dark, like it it's certainly, but um, quite entertaining. It's got your handsome lead for anybody who likes that kind of stuff. I do, I will admit to. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that 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 one was nice. So they really do good work. Like it's these these adaptations are really good. I, if I didn't have so much going on, I would actually start a blog project going through all the Helmy miniseries because I would Don't like. I would this like to Kevin. He'll start it and then he'll never finish it. <laughs> because I would like to revisit those someday because I remember a lot of them being good. Like I really like the Odyssey and Gulliver's Travels and Alice in Wonderland and even even out like Jason and the Argonauts was silly but it was fun. I think the only ones I didn't like were Noah's Ark, where it's basically just John Voight as drunk Noah, <laughs> and. Uh, and the Monkey King, where it's like, let's let's do a Chinese fable, but let's actually cast a lot of white actors. So let's do the Last Airbender before the Last Airbender. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, let's do the uh, Chinese story of the Monkey King, starring Greg from Dharma and Greg. <laughs> okay. 
And then I think there were the, the Leprechauns was also one that wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. But that one, they didn't have a story to adapt. It was just, let's do something involving a lot of Leprechauns. Hmm. And of course, now we have, aside from the miniseries, there's now kind of an upswing in TV shows mm-hmm. that have yes. decided to do the same thing. And uh, we're kind of split in that I watch Grimm and Nolan Raiden or watch Once Upon a Time, which I think are the two big ones. And I can't think if there's anything else. They both came currently. out. I think they both the, came out the, the same ca- year. They, ca- same, they came out yeah. the same I year. I thought they almost, both debuted the same week, actually. I think they were yeah. very much in direct competition with each other. Yeah. And somehow have settled into like. Because I did. I watched the pilots of both of them and I kept going with Once Upon a Time and I didn't keep going with Grimm. Uh, I watched an episode of Grimm. I, I think it was a werewolf episode, actually. The the first I... one introduces Monroe, played by uh, Silas Weir Mitchell, and he's the best character on TV. He's my favorite. <laughs> I saw the pilot, and I couldn't the get vegan... past the CGI vamp face. Um, it, they did the Buffy Angel vamp face thing. <laughs> for which character? But it was like every character, no matter what species, no matter what oh. type of creature they are, they all do the vamp face. Well, they kind of have, uh, so the Grimm um, rundown is that, you know, all of these uh, various supernatural creatures are real, but only the descendants of Brothers Grimm and a few other select families in the world with the same abilities can see them. So they're all called the Grimms, and uh, the main character is a, a Portland, Oregon uh, police officer who's a descendant of this family, and he doesn't know anything about it until his uh, aunt shows up and tells him, and he thinks she's a librarian, but really she's basically Buffy. But the, the Grimm's uh, job is to kind of, is to to kill the, to keep the peace in this community. And there's actually, they get involved in a very uh, elaborate backstory of how, what place the Grimm have in this supernatural, you know, underground but yeah, he sees his ability. The reason it's not like he has any supernatural power. He's not necessarily super strong or anything like that. He just has to train in combat. And as a cop, he kind of has a leg up in that he's already somewhat trained. But his only real ability as a Grimm is that he can, when when they're caught unawares, when they're angry, he can see them for what they are, because to to everybody else, they just look human. So he sees these these creatures' true faces. And it's kind of basically a cop procedural in that he's still a cop, and but every crime he does has turns out to have something to do um, with the supernatural world. And he has to solve it in a way where it can still go to court, but he catches the bad guy, but it's still explainable. <laughs> uh, Sounds to me like the Grimms are speciesists. <laughs> well, it's really interesting because at some point in the series, he does start. A lot of the the supernatural creatures are terrified of him because to them, the Grim are the people who will break into. Your, they are the man, kind of Judge Dredd mm-hmm. type of man. They will break into your home and kill you indiscriminately just for being what you are. And they terrify their children with stories of the Grim. Nick isn't like that because he wasn't raised with it, and he's still raised with this morality of, "Well, I just keep the peace." So he tries, you know. He forges ties with the the communities that are peaceful and really have you know don't commit any crimes just by virtue of being who they are and breaks the mold of he's he's a different kind of grim kind of gentle grim that still mm-hmm. can kick ass and you know protect his town when he needs to. It does have a mythology it goes into, especially in the most recent season. It has some really really great supporting cast, particularly Silas Weir Mitchell as Monroe, uh, the werewolf who got reformed. 
into being a vegan. Okay, all of they, they don't actually called werewolves. Instead, they use German names for a lot of mm-hmm. these. That's kind of a quirk this does. And every episode opens with a quote from a, an actual grim fairy tale that may in some way relate to the episode. And I think it's actually well done. I think it grew into itself. It's definitely a show I want to check out. I just, when I had to decide what I wanted to follow on TV, I picked the other show. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I want to see it because it's David Greenwald, and I usually like David Greenwald shows. I know I know Joss Whedon is the main guy on Angel, but David Greenwald was the head writer of Angel. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's also done some great shows, Jake 2.0, Surface, Kidnapped, Moonlight. Anybody so. who is in Sasha Reese withdrawals following the cancellation of Caprica should check out Grimm. He's <laughs> on there. So he's he's a good writer producer, and I, I I want to check out Grimm at some point. I just yeah. haven't, and I would rather. I'm also prioritizing Lost Girl over Grimm. But Once Upon a Time, you guys should talk about that one, right? Once Upon a Time is, I it's cracktastic. I think. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a a kid, a runaway kid, and a bounty hunter finds him and takes him back to his small town of Storybrooke only to find out that it's a town. Well, she doesn't find this out, but she ends up getting caught up in the town politics of this town when she finds out that that's her kid who had been adopted by the town mayor. And we gradually find out through flashbacks that these people are all the fairy tale people, but they're all under a curse. So we're, we're learning all of the backstory of what happened to the, in the fairy tale world that, what, that led them here while we're also waiting for the events are gradually falling into place for the curse to be reversed and everyone to remember who they are. Yeah. And if you've been following me on Twitter, as I sporadically yell about things as I want to do, Mm -hmm. um, I don't like the kid. I think he's annoying as fuck. (laughs) And I'm not too fond of Jennifer Goodwin's modern day pixie haircut. I, I like it. I hate it. Because she looks great as Snow White with the I will say hair. this about Jennifer Goodwin, is that she has this very specific acting style. And there's an episode where there's a child actress who does a dead-on impersonation of her acting style, and it's mm-hmm. freakishly amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It should be mentioned that this airs on ABC, so it's a Disney property, so... Yes, so all of the fairy tales that they reference are actually through the Disney versions of the fairy tales they reference. And they also go beyond fairy tales, like they have... Mulan, um, it's they had, they break it up. They all the Grimm's fairy tales take place in one dimension. Um, Oz and Alice in Wonderland are kind of their own dimensions. There's even a dimension that is we see it in season two, a dimension that's entirely black and white, where it's Frankenstein, mm-hmm. where <laughs> where it's it's basically the steampunk magic science, and they're also yeah. like hinting that some of Jules Verne stuff takes place in there. Disney is prepping a. Disney is prepping another like two twenty thousand leagues under the sea, so they're probably going to tie that in at some point. Yeah, and it's really kind of fascinating how they they've been tying things together. Like Belle from Beauty and the Beast is there, but who the Beast is is not who you expect. Mm-hmm. And there's a reference to Chip, the little chipped cup, who's not a talking cup; he's just a cup. But he's I mean, it's if you know the movie and you love the movie, that is just there for you. Yeah, there's this fascinating layer of interconnectivity that they bring to everything. And it's just, it's really clever, a lot of the ways they tie everything together. Do Now, these have been out for a couple of seasons now, Kaylee, so I think they do air in the UK by now, probably? Yeah, we're actually getting all of the American TV shows about a week after you guys now, thanks to the wonder of Corporation on Satellite Television. 
<laughs> I can't actually watch all this stuff, but once again, that list of things I have to watch is very, very long. <laughs> I I will I will say this about Once Upon a Time. I had a hard time getting through season one. And and here's why. It's not that the content is bad. I just so much of season one is focusing on the flashbacks that there's very little forward momentum in the present day in the town. Very little actually happens on the show. We're just going and covering a lot of backs. It basically takes an entire season just to set up everything. Mm-hmm. And then things start to happen. And it it got frustrating because essentially we're 20, the audience is 20 episodes ahead of the main cast. We know everything that we're still waiting for the main cast to know. I didn't have a problem with that because one, small sleepy main towns are kind of like that. Nothing. Well, you happens. just recently marathoned it, right? Yeah. See, and um, I've been watching it one episode a week. And so if you wait a week for something to happen and nothing happens it's just for half a year. That, that's fair. Like, I mean, there are some shows where watching them all at once in summer on like DVD or Netflix is just a better experience. than mm-hmm. and, yeah. yeah. And some and... of them, like to me, Tenth Kingdom, works a little better with some space. <laughs> no kidding. Um, and I, <laughs> quite frankly... I found some of the characters in the flashbacks to be more interesting than their counterparts in the real world. Snow White Charming. <clears throat> and I, I've heard a theory that the reason they're so bland and boring in the real world is because that's a mechanic of the curse. Um, and right. if this is addressed in season two, Noel, don't say anything because you're spoiling me. Well, Well, you've seen the end of season one, right? Yes. So you know the curse. I know that the curse is broken. Yes. So. And I, I just, I want people to know that the curse is broken at the end of season one because I know a lot of people, I know people who actually did start watching the show who did gave up on season one for the reasons that I, like Evie, loved the show at first and then just couldn't stand it halfway through season one because of the same structural problems. But yeah, season two is, I'm not, I'm not going to get into specifics, but what I will say is that the focus is on the modern day present as the situation keeps moving forward from episode to episode to episode, things happen. It speeds up and the flashbacks are minimized to just give further context to what's going on in the present. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that alone makes it a vastly better show and it's, it's been fantastic so far with the occasional, the occasional clunker episode, but yeah, it's, it's, it's become a very good series. And actually, Once Upon a Time is a good segue into our next topic, because when it came out, it almost faced controversy in that its uh, premise was similar to an existing comic book series, Mm -hmm. which they couldn't adapt. And uh, Nolan, I guess we can talk about it now. I'm talking about, say it with me, Raiden. Fables. (laughs) Yes, people, we are talking about Fables. Everybody... Who has said, hey, are you going to talk about fables? And I've said, I don't know, maybe? I haven't read them, but maybe someone else has. They have. Yes. I'm, point- I'm pointing at them now. You can't tell, and they can't yes, tell. Yes, we've read, like, six issues of it. <laughs> yeah, That's we've it. read the I've first read some rate. of them. <laughs> no. I just can't remember which order they were in. I just got whatever was in the library. This would have been a good thing to have Evie on for, because she is, like, a rabid fables fan. I found out about Fables through a coworker of mine who's a big fan and uh, picked up the first book. So, hi, Peter. But here's what happened. Fables is a similar premise in that fairytale characters live in the modern world, uh, in exile from their original worlds. 
um, there was no, it wasn't a lawsuit. It was almost like it, a there threat. wasn't a lawsuit. What uh, happened was is that a couple years before Once Upon a Time premiered, ABC licensed Fables for a TV adaptation. And it started, they, they didn't film a pilot, but they did write a pilot. They started casting it. But then Disney, which owns ABC, bought Marvel Comics. And Fables, and Fables is produced by DC Comics. Yeah. And so they didn't suddenly want to produce a show, but they didn't also want to scrap everything. So they kind of completely, re- they, they went to the, uh, the, the, right, the guys who wrote Tron Legacy and they were like, okay, what can you guys do that's different? And so they kind of threw something around. That's when they came up with the idea of what if we bring in the Disney canon and we set up an entirely alternate version. But then controversy started. A lot of people to this day accuse Once Upon a Time of being a Fables ripoff. But mm-hmm. what's nice is the people making Fables invited Bill Willingham, the writer of Fables, you to mean come making out. Once Upon a Time. Um, to, wait, say that again? You said the people making Fables, you meant people making. I'm sorry. Once yes, the people making Once Upon a Time invited. Bill Willingham out to like look over everything they're doing and just to assure him that they're not doing the same. It's kind of like with Sherlock and elementary. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're kind of doing the same basic the same concept, things, yeah. but this is, this is how we're doing it differently. Mm-hmm. And so he signed off on it and he's like, you know, guys go ahead. And I think the license to fables is going to come back to Warner brothers in the next year or so. And they'll probably try a TV show again. Mm-hmm. So, Fables is, uh, like I mentioned, kind of similar. Um, the the fairy tale characters were driven out of their homelands. Now, I've just read the first trade, which collects the first arc. Uh, it's called Fables Legends in Exile. And it's kind of a murder mystery, the first arc. Uh, so they, they were, they were, they, they fled their original lands in, in a kind of mass exodus. And now they live in, um, most of them live in New York. There, there's a few enclaves of them elsewhere. Um, those of them who cannot pass for human, so they have to either look human to begin with or pay one of their witches or wizards to glamour them, live in like a farm <laughs> upstate. But those who can live in New York City, there's a building. And... There, there are a few things about this which I loved. Like, for example, I loved that the Prince Charming in all the different fairy tales is actually the same Prince Charming, and he's like this huge womanizer who keeps on dumping his wives or being I dumped by them. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, I love how big of a prick he is. Yeah, he's and, he, and he revels in it. And uh, the big bad wolf, or Big B, Big B Wolf, is an investigator uh, and kind of security. He's like the sheriff or police yeah. chief. <laughs> kind of a sheriff. And Snow White, who's the deputy mayor under King Cole. Um, are the main characters, at least of the first uh, arc. And I now ship them, ship them hard in my shipper heart. But <laughs> it, it's not just fairy tales. It does leverage some book properties. For example, even on the cover of the trade, you see the flying monkey. And I checked before doing the podcast, The Wizard of Oz, the original book, is in public domain. So while I guess they can't directly uh, pull from, I guess, any adaptations or anything from the book elements... They're, they, they're probably free to pull that. And um, there's... That's some... been challenged a few times when people have gotten away with doing Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. I just don't think anyone has ever succeeded in doing a film of Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. because Disney will and, and Warners will both come after them. Yeah, and probably if their design was too similar to, say, the the movie design, that would have been trouble. But, it, I mean, all they have to do is just draw their own version of, you know, Monkey with Wings, and it's well, and I know there's, a book, right? So. That's actually created a problem because John Borman, 
who did Excalibur back in the day and a number of other films, Deliverance, uh, has been working for like six years on an adaptation of Wizard of Oz. And every time it moves forward a bit, he gets hit with legal troubles and funders leave. And he's still been trying to make this movie. There's actually, it's an animated movie and he's doing it as a kid's film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and there are some snippets that he has released some clips online and designs and everything, but it's just, he, they keep going after him despite the fact that it should be a public domain story. Mm-hmm. And it, the stories, but yeah, the, People hold on to trademarks. I love that Bluebeard. Speaking I don't of, understand you know, how really trademarks gruesome, can exist yeah. for something that's public domain. I yeah, don't. no, it's it's weird. But speaking of gruesome fairy tales, Bluebeard is in this one. Mm-hmm. That's not a fairy tale I think I see mentioned often. But yeah, talk about lots of blood and murder. <laughs> well, I, I like that they specifically say, and this applies to the wolf oh, yeah, too, Luke. that everyone is kind of Under been given amnesty. immunity to all their past crimes. Yeah, they call it a general amnesty for all of their basically fairy tale crimes because they had to learn. They have they only have each other really in this world. They call the uh, regular people mundanes, like the actual human inhabitants of the world. They call them mundanes, and they can't reveal themselves. So there was a general amnesty, and they all remember who's done what, but they're not supposed to like it's not supposed to be evidence in in their own court, so to say. Yeah. Oh, and everyone's um, given a fresh chance to start over. I love how um, Pinocchio. Here's another book character more than a fairy tale, like old fairy tale. Pinocchio is given this kind of the man who asked for youth but forgot to ask for asked for mortality but forgot to ask for youth treatment, but in reverse, in that he's stuck in the little boy body for like 300 years now. Well, don't, <laughs> tell me this be... go, don't tell me this becomes Dance in the Vampire Bund. I, no, it, it's very, very, it's very brief. If you don't remember, like in the first arc, you meet the little boy, and it's Pinocchio, and he was like, "Oh, that's right, yeah." That, uh, what did he call her? The fairy. He he was like not a ditzy bitch. He calls her. She interpreted his wish literally, and now he's a real boy forever and ever, having gone through puberty or anything. And he's kind of just like Claudia in the interview with the vampire. He's kind of done. He's mm. done being a kid. <laughs> so that's... it's um, Now, my understanding from the, the colleague who recommended this and also knows a lot more about it than I do is that there was a change in artists uh, starting with the second arc, I believe. And for anybody looking for recommendations, his particular favorite is he said, I believe, number five. So, uh, But I just picked up the, fir- the beginning because I wanted to read it, and I actually did quite like it. So I'd recommend it to those who like comics and like kind of adaptations of existing properties into something new. Yeah, uh, I, I like the first arc enough that I want to check out the rest. I just haven't yeah. had a chance to yet. I have no idea which arc I read, but I do recommend it. it, it the way it tackles sort of different genres as well. One, one arc will be done as sort of a hard, hard-boiled crime novel, and then it'll be something a bit more wacky and capers. Mm-hmm. Politically, it's very interesting, but you can sort of skip over that. It doesn't really bash you over the head with it. Well, it does, but you can ignore it. So. <laughs> oh, well, I just... I kind of fell in love with Bill Willingham last year when I saw him for the first time at a con. And uh, they were, it it was a panel about how classical myths were being reinterpreted in the modern day. And there was one writer on the con was basically, uh, every time you take something that's been created by something else, you should be very respectful of it. And you Mm. should, you know, always respect that it's heritage and it's fans. And and he he literally just turned to them and said, fuck that. Tell the stories you want to tell, you know, um, um, and, and he's also like, if, if you have a Superman story you want to tell, go ahead and write it. Just don't call him Superman. 
I, so, I want to mention before I forget. It's very pro derivative. There is a game based on fables coming out. Telltale Games uh, partnering with Warner Brothers and DC Comics to create games based on fables. Uh, link in the show notes. But will it come out before the game based on Kaylin Gow's work? <laughs> <laughs> Can we please explain this so people don't Yes, Kaylin, go ahead. Somehow I became caught up in it too. And I appreciate your support greatly. So I just bought her book and read it. <laughs> Oh, God, don't give the woman money. Oh, no. It's only 99 cents. No. Well, no. Kaylee, Kaylee, this soapbox is yours. Hey, this is what I do. I know thy enemy. (laughs) So I was originally planning writing a post about this YA offer called Kaylee and Gow. And what she essentially does is she is the YA equivalent of the asylum. She'll just take these ideas that happen to be conveniently very popular, you know, the paranormal romance bandwagon, dystopia, et cetera, et cetera. And she'll write sort of knockoff versions of that. And I was going to write a post about... Is this okay? What do you think of this? When does it become derivative? When does it become plagiarism? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And then I support it. We, as we did further digging, along with a Goodreads user called Rhiannon, who I, who I have huge thanks to give for the post, we sort of started digging up more things about her, and it became very, very weird. And basically, this, she has paid for something called celebrity branding to help promote her work and release all these weird press releases claiming things like her work has been recommended by Malia Obama and that she has appeared on multiple TV shows promoting her work and that she works as a as a mentor for young women and it And that she's won awards created by this organization just to give people awards. Yes, and she's multiple award winners for um she's won multiple awards from a company that has given awards to people like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Mick Warren. Uh, basically, if you pay $60, you immediately become nominated for the sword and you win it. So she'd won multiple versions of that. And as we dug up, I did this post, and then she started trying to delete things and offer, you know, really half-handed explanations for things that had gone on. And I just kept saying, you're lying further. I have all the proof here. So I basically turned into Harriet the Spy of the YA world to <laughs> sort this out. And it's, it's just gotten really weird. It's and then she went around and, and then she went around and blocked everyone. She blocked you and yes. everyone who dis- discussed this with you. Like me, you just asked me about like IMDB policy. Yeah, and I asked she blocked about IMDB policy because she's claimed that she has made a movie and had it pre- premiered at a film festival and what she did was premiere her one minute book trailer at a film festival and technically you're not supposed to have an IMDB page for that so I was also, looking into that. Asked no also on top of that though, a lot of her author bios have included the word filmmaker. <laughs> yes. based entirely so, on that and also she claimed that multiple films were being made of her work and not just a film but an MMO was being made of her work by a company <laughs> called Sea Global Entertainment no evidence of this exists beyond her word I emailed the company to ask for you know, discussion of this they haven't emailed me back but I am 100% sure that this is never going to happen because she started deleting things from her page she immediately started sending out tweets saying hi this is Caitlin's assistant here we're going to have an announcement from the president of Sea Global a man that doesn't exist about the <laughs> games that are going to be made from her work and the work that was being adapted would change every time she mentioned it and then she well, starts ranting about lies 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 there was yeah. no um, no games website had any records of this at all so I start putting this all together and says, you're lying. You, should, you have to stop digging this hole now or you'll never get out of it. And it just got weirder and weirder and yeah. kind of escalated into something where she started blocking everyone who even talked to me about it. Anyone who sent the link out to my post on Twitter, she would immediately block them all. 
I was getting messages from friends about that one, which was quite interesting. <laughs> and she's now claimed that I am part of... I have teamed up with an agent who she called racist um, because she didn't want to work with her. And I am del- deliberately trying to bring her down in order to promote another offer. So I can't even take credit for my own plans here. I have to be someone else's minion. <laughs> and as someone who oddly got caught up in this, um, I don't have a problem with writing derivative knockoff fiction. I mean, it's been a part of it. Shakespeare was derivative knockoff fiction. I'm sorry, he was. And You're stealing that from me. Yes, I know. I am. But it's true. It's, it's, it's an argument I've used before. Fic. Yeah. You know, I don't have a problem with derivative knockoffs. I have a problem with people creating this entire false bluster just to make themselves look better. Yeah. It's the lying that I have a problem with. And this I thing is... I mean, if having... you're going to make a claim like, yes, the daughter of the president re- recommended my book. She stated that she had read this woman's book. And then she changed it to, well, she she probably didn't, but I still think she did. And she posted a link to an article in the Christian Science Monitor that said President Obama was seen leaving with Sasha carrying a book called Frost. Now, the woman has never written a book called Frost. She's written a series called Frost. And then I found a link on Salon.com that says, yeah, the book she was reading was by Marianne Baer. But I love that she's still arguing that it was Malia, despite the fact that she has circled on her website, clearly states Sasha. Yes. <laughs> it's like... She can't even comprehend that. It's weird. Well, she yeah. also claimed that a senior U.S. senator and her daughter had um, recommended her work as well. It's like, you, you're going up against an American politics geek. You are just asking for trouble on this front. Yeah. So, so if you're interested in reading the post, I'll post it in the show notes. It started out at about 1,500 words. It's now about 3,500 words. Because <laughs> uh, I have to keep adding stuff to it because it's just gotten more and more ridiculous. Ever-expanding Kaylee yeah. the Great Sleuth. <laughs> and, I w- and I will say, having read one of her books now, it's actually not a bad book. I mean, it's like a decent, it's a perfectly acceptable three-star book. It's, I mean, there are a lot of grammatical errors that you usually see in self-published stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not like so bad that it needs to be completely overhauled like Fifty Shades was. It's just basically just your occasional grammatical error. It's, the writing is fine. The story is fine. I mean, I, the one I read was... The, the author's just batshit crazy. Yeah, and that's the thing is, and that's the sad thing is, I don't mind derivative fiction, and it's still at least decently readable derivative fiction. I mean, this entire episode is about derivative fiction. Yeah. Really. Exactly. And this one, The Fairy Rose, it's essentially a knockoff of The Winx Club mm. that she wrote for younger readers, and it's it's fine. It's a perfectly acceptable book, and I just wish that she hadn't gone into this whole... bullshit self-blustering spiel and then lashed out at everyone who caught her in it. But speaking of derivative, uh, something you mentioned back when talking about Once Upon a Time is you talked about the different dimensions that the different types of stories are in. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't seen the show, so I didn't know that, but now I know that. It does seem like something they kind of took from Fables, because in that little bit in this first trade of Fables, where they go into a very short backstory of their exile, they do mention that all of their kingdoms exist on kind of different planes, and they only were vaguely aware of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that does seem like very similar to what Once Upon a Time did. Yeah, but what's nice is that Once Upon a Time does have a lot of crossover. Like, And th- this is just the setup for one episode in season two. So I'm not really going to spoil much here, Raiden. Um, Mm -hmm. It basically the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk is curious what humans are like. So he eats a mushroom from Alice in Wonderland. So he shrinks down to human size. That's kind of cute. 
So, I mean, there's, there's, there's interesting ways it ties and crosses yeah. things together. And what Fables does is, uh, like Once Upon a Time, in that it it's not, it doesn't limit itself to the fairy tales. So, the, like we mentioned with the monkeys, there's public domain books. There's um, the Lewis Carroll Alice book is in here because the Vorpal Sword. Yeah, and then what it's I like mentioned. is that there is a steampunk world where you get, like, Frankenstein, and they're setting up Jules Verne and stuff, where science has become magic. And I like about Fables how they subtly mention um, non-public domain works that they can't mention. In this case, it's Narnia. And I mm-hmm. quoted this before the show because we were laughing at it. But there's just one panel of like a lion and it says, and then the kingdom of the great lion fell. And again, we did nothing because we always found the old lion t- a bit too pompous and holier than thou for our taste. <laughs> <laughs> and it may, just made me stop and laugh and laugh. <laughs> oh, is it... Oh, gee, I wonder who you were talking about. <laughs> See, and then Disney is also using some of their original, like uh, in the Disney version of Sleeping Beauty, uh, the evil sorceress Maleficent, who turns into a dragon, she was entirely a, an original D- Disney creation. Mm-hmm. And so she and she is still in Once Upon a Time and still can turn into a dragon and stuff. But it, it is interesting how they're pulling from the various generations, but still recognizing the divide between them. Like Mulan is in Once Upon a Time, but mm-hmm. she's from some far off land that nobody knows where she's from but you know maleficent actually brings us to a very good transition because we were also going to mention the films the the recent kind of release of the fairytale films and maleficent is going to be one of them i'd almost forgotten about it yes angelina jolie angelina jolie yeah really really like that one still they had there's screenshots of her in costume and it's you know the disney maleficent as noel said she's a disney creation yeah that so, could be awesome. That's I mean, coming Maleficent out. in Once Upon a Time, it's played by Pam from True Blood, which is kind of awesome. Ooh, it's... that's an excellent choice. Here's <laughs> uh, the screenshot of Angelina Jolie. We'll link it in the show notes, and IMDb currently lists the release as uh, July 2014. So, not sure how accurate that is, but that's at least the guideline. Well, oh, Elle Fanning is going to play Aurora well. in that one. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It was it was written by Paul Dini of Batman the Animated Series. Wow. Well, oh, wow. So, yeah. So, that's going to be a future one. And another one that's coming out. Did it just come out this weekend or coming out Jack the Giant Slayer? I think that's coming out in a week or so. In a week, right. Yeah. And it has uh, the magnificent Kenneth Branagh. I believe. Was it Kenneth Branagh in there? Yes. It's like that? a cast of that? everybody. There's no, like wait. Ewan McGregor, there's Ewan Stanley Tucci. No, I think I'm thinking of Ewan McGregor. Well, I Ewan apologize. McGregor is gradually aging into Ken Brano. I I just saw like the blonde. He has the the like Professor Lockhart hair in his guy. <laughs> Once he got the Obi Wan beard, he never quite let it go. Yeah. Stanley Tucci is going to be in it. Um, my, my only problem with um, with nice, Jack and the Giant Slayer and like Oz the Great and Powerful is they look like those big movies where they're like, okay, how much more stuff can we cram into this movie? Mm. The trailers my are just so big. problem with the Oz big. movie is it looks like Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Which oh, yeah. I can hate, but yeah, I, I can understand. You know, and I can't stand James Franco. I want to punch him in the beard. Well, Maleficent was supposed to be a, a Tim Burton film before he eventually walked. Mm-hmm. You know what I th- I like from the previews of Oz the Great and Powerful? I like that it's going to begin like in black and white and letterbox format. And then as he goes into Oz, it's going to go color and expand, kind of like the original movie went from black and white to color. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, I want I want them to go all return to Oz and, and reveal that this is all the result of electroshock therapy. <laughs> no, stop being depressing. This is that was true. a Disney film. They can do it. <laughs> Excellent movie as well. I, I know, the, some criticism that I've heard of Oz the Great and Powerful is it it takes a story that was that had a, a female protagonist and now makes it about this man who is here to save us all. Well. It Which depends. is it depends if I they're mean, actually planning to do more afterwards. Because the story they're pulling on, where the wizard first came to us, that was actually one of Baum's books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I or, mean, I I understand the criticism. I want to acknowledge that it exists, and I think it's legitimate mm-hmm. to to take one of the. I mean. Come on, there are a billion... We've talked about this before. There are a billion movies about dudes who are here to save us all. And not that many, comparatively, about girls who are here to save us all. So... Is that one of the things you like about Once Upon a Time? Because I'm, I'm assuming technically the the Jennifer Morrison's character is... Is the girl who's, who's, who's there to save us, us all. all. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I like that very much. Um, and I was apparently one of like three people on the planet who actually liked her character on house. Before yes, I... you were, because that's the reason I don't I've watch. I've been a Once fan a of time. Jennifer Morrison since stir of echoes. <laughs> Noel in your obscure references. Go on, Raiden. Thank you. <laughs> um, and urban I mean, legend I two Noel, final cut please. where she was the lead. <laughs> Noel, please. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like Jennifer Morrison's character on house until I got, tired of the series of house which was probably about season three you know um and i i actually do like her on once upon a time because she is portraying a character that is deeply deeply broken but not but not like irredeemably so and not like I can't do anything about my fate kind of. So like she's doing the best she can with the shit. She's broken, but she's not giving up. Mm-hmm. Noel. Sorry. Um, so yes, her, her life, thanks to a certain character, which I will not name for people who have not seen it yet. Although there have been tweets about it. <laughs> it's the <laughs> internet. Job and he fucked it up. <laughs> And she was given a shit sandwich thanks to that one character. And I think she's done the best that that she can. Um, it's slightly unrealistic because she is a white blonde baby. She totally would have been adopted by somebody right away. She wouldn't have ended up in the foster care system forever. But! <laughs> so, yes, that is one of the reasons that I like Once Upon a Time. Um, can I say something now? Yes, Noel. Yes. And I will say that is something that they actually really do further build on in season two as relationships are finally revealed and have to be confronted. And also, I, I would just say this, but she goes to the fairy tale world and has to use a sword. Mm. Excellent. So. Excellent. I did like the, here you go, this is your father's sword. And she's like, I have no fucking idea what to do with this, but I have a gun. <laughs> oh, and that's actually it, when she goes to the fairy tale world. She has a gun still, but then she runs out of bullets. <laughs> that's that's actually good. Um, and the one movie we haven't mentioned yet is Hansel and Gretel, the one Raiden and I have seen. 
and Noel Schutze. I plan to. Oh, it's so silly, I hear but it's so a nice, much quiet, fun. Subdued film. <laughs> All the Jeremy Renner reaction gifs. Right. Although, as uh, a friend of mine on the Mark Reed's community pointed out, like he he also loved it. He's like, my interests are not the same as your interests. My interests are that I just can't stop staring at Jim Atherton. <laughs> I don't even it's know how to pronounce her name. She is very pretty, and she's got a great ass. Oh, and but this movie—it's very—it's fun. It's uh, silly fun, but you know what? It's—it's it's entertaining. It does a great job entertaining you. So, I think, I and, think, and people... it absolutely knows what kind of movie mm-hmm. it is. I mean, the opening shot after the the title sequence, which was great. Once my theater finally got their 3D working, <laughs> which was very annoying, and only took three trips to the lobby for me to fix. We, I didn't see it in 3D, but I could see that that sequence was made for it. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, the The opening shot after the title sequence was milk bottle, glass milk bottles with pictures of missing children. Oh, yeah. It. Was... <laughs> so <laughs> it knows what kind of movie it is, and it doesn't make any apologies about it. And you know the Those kind are the of, best. Yeah, the kind of rating it's going to be the moment Jan- Gemma Arterton shows up, points a gun at Peter Stormare, and goes... Let the girl go, or I will blow your share of brains all over these fucking hillbillies. <laughs> oh, movie, I love you already. Exactly. And unlike in um, Aragon, where Jeremy Irons was the only one who was acting, and by God, he was going to be an actor. Or who, I don't well, remember. Rachel the Weiss's voice name. also did some acting. Um,. And the whoever played Uncle Iroh in oh, The Last Marco. Airbender was oh. also oh, like, the- I'm the only sane actor in this entire thing who's <laughs> actually going to act uh, because you could actually see Jackson Rathbone give up during a scene. <laughs> uh, Jer- I mean, Jeremy Renner can act. We all know this. And he did a really good job of giving an honest and somewhat diabetes. Oh, sorry. (laughs) An actual performance kind of giving Hansel motivation and stuff, but he didn't show anyone up. Hansel's motivation is magical diabetes people. If it's true, it's true. There are long-term repercussions from being forced to eat all that fucking candy. (laughs) And the body affection for his sister's breasts, because let's face it, that cuddle scene. (laughs) I yeah. wonder if this fairy tale world has Wilford Brimley and diabetes advertisements. <laughs> they somehow got him on a horse. Yeah, this this is a movie made for Tumblr and like inappropriate sibling incest jokes. Isn't there like a fan with a scrapbook or something like that? Yes, That's like kind Benjamin. of a personification of Tumblr. Benjamin. Literally, yes. He shows up with a scrapbook of all of the newspaper articles and pictures and he's got fan art of Gretel and See this movie totally Hansel's knows who it's like funny. Dude, you are actually legit creepy. <laughs> See, and I've heard some people say this movie bombed. It's already made three times its budget. Yeah, good for it. I mean, if you if you it's look found at its audience. Rot- yeah. If you look at the Rotten Tomatoes page, it's got like a sixteen percent positive critical review. But at last time I checked, I think sixty five percent of the audience loved it. So <laughs> I think the worst thing a movie like that can do is take itself is not know what it is, right? Yeah. But Hansel yeah. and Gretel knows what it is. 
you know, yeah. and that, that's why Battleship was my favorite film of last year. It knew what it was and it kind of reveled in it. Mm-hmm. And everyone hated that movie except me because I'm like, okay, I see the intelligence behind the stupidity. And so I, I like films like that where they know it's silly. They know it's nonsensical and they love the fact that it's silly and nonsensical because they get to have fun with it then. Yeah. And Those are the, the best kind. The other thing I really liked about Hansel and Gretel is that clearly everybody involved was having a lot of fun. Yeah. But unlike, say, in Ocean's 12, where you could like see the total glee of, I get to hang out with my best friends again! Yay! It didn't get into in the way of the movie that they were having fun. I it mean, yes, Vamke Jansen was like chewing the scenery and vamping it up. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't necessarily see Famke behind Muriel being like, this is the best fucking job ever. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was good. Kind of like, what's his name who plays Arrow in the Twilight movies? Michael Sheen. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's exactly what he's doing. He's like, oh, I get to have the best fucking time. <laughs> I feel the man should be getting a knighthood solely based on his dedication to those movies. <laughs> so there's not one sort of honors. I feel like we should upgrade it to the knighthood. You know, if they want to make more Twilight films, I want to see the life story of Arrow and just make it a wild balls out comedy. We were we almost made it through an episode. <laughs> almost. No. <sighs> no. Please no. Moving on. I, before we re- kind of start wrapping up, I'd like I'll to make blame for that. <laughs> a quick mention of because we ran almost through every medium, but books. And there are some books that also do like a fa- they're not the fairy tale, but rather the adaptation. Mm-hmm. I'd like to make a short kind of plug for Patricia Reed's Enchanted Forest Chronicles. They skew younger, but I'd still read them as an adult just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's four, and I think it was like an originally the one that's actually fourth chronologically was published first, and the rest of prequels. I think I read them in like the chronological order of the story happening and Kaylee's website, the book lantern has a short write-up for me. So maybe we can link that in the show notes for those who are interested, but those, uh, those poke very good natured fun at uh, fairy tale archetypes, such as like the blonde princess. Right. That's dealing with dragons and Nancy. Yes. Yes, exactly. Talking to dragons, dealing with dragons, those books. Yeah. Um, And obviously there's the, uh, okay. Yeah. I've read one of those. Yeah. The book on on which Wicked, the musical, was based. Yep, Gregory Maguire. Maguire. Who... Yeah. There's a, he um, also did Confessions he, of the Ugly Stepsister. Yeah, he did Confessions. And Mirror Mirror, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mirror Mirror is great. That that resets Snow White in the court of the Borgias, which makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, and he. Oh, he, there's one that I keep seeing on shelves. I don't there's actually. There's a Jack like, the Ripper one. Yeah, uh, I don't actually like his writing style very much, um, but that's just me. Um, there's one where the main character is a lion or son of the lion or something. That's a third in the, um, the sort of Oz trilogy that he's done. I can't remember the name of it. Well, so I haven't read that one. Son of the Witch, and then I guess there's a third one now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess post. I suppose. We could look this up on Amazon by we, I mean me. <laughs> Link in show notes. <laughs> I just a thought up a story. Men. It's called The Lion Among Men. Mm. Yes. I just thought of a story where the lion from Oz ends up getting so much courage that he goes on a massive ego trip and he forms Narnia. <laughs> uh-huh. I am uh, your fascinating. god now. They've come out with new covers for the Gregory Maguire 
books. And why do you have confessions of an ugly stepsister with a woman wearing a Regency gown? That is unacceptable. <laughs> what? Well, why do they have the Anna Gables as a blonde now? Uh, <clears throat> oh God, that that did not happen. Um, as a, as the Canadian here, I would like to point out that this was basically a national outrage. I would hope so. You know, like that was national. Like they desecrated Anne of Green Gables. Yeah, it's one of those things. I'm kind of glad my grandma isn't around to see because she was such a huge fan of those books and would have gone apoplectic. Yeah. She she would have she would have thrown a fit. For for the five of you out there who have not seen this yet, we will link it in the show notes. You can be outraged with us. It's a new cover for. The Anne of Green Gables series with a girl wearing a plaid flannel shirt, and, and she's fucking blonde. And she's like 20. And she's, she's posing. Yeah, she's a no. buxom, pouty-lipped, sexy. It's like they literally model. just shopped. They just literally searched through photos of models and were like, okay, that she's wearing flannel. That works. I mean, there there is nothing that is right about this cover. All of the things are well. The titles of the books are correct. And then there's a wolf on there, and it's Lucy Maud Montgomery instead of L. Maud Montgomery or L. M. Right. Oh. I love though that the wolf is just kind of staring there, like, "What the fuck am I doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> the wolf is on the imprint. Listeners, not like part of the yeah. cover. He's not trying. This is. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It's- that is For all the outrage that the new Bell Jar cover caused. I think that the Anna Green Gables one is just a bigger slap in the face. Mm. Yeah. And then what I love is the Harry Potter covers come out, and everyone's like, "Hey, these are actually good." They are. And as I as I mentioned on Twitter, I mean the American covers were alternative art to begin with, so they don't get to complain. Here in Canada, we get the British covers. Yeah. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we have some feelings about that. Um. <laughs> Going back to the talking of Gregory Maguire's Wicked, they are, I really like them, but the, 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 his style can be very hard to get into, so approach with caution. Um, mm-hmm. Wicked is all great because it essentially makes the Wicked Witch of the West a political terrorist, and I'm mm-hmm. all for that. <laughs> and I actually prefer Son of a Witch, the sequel, because the lead character of that is called Lear, and I just find him to be completely fascinating and so lovely. <laughs> and a hundred years from now, we can write a story combining Wicked with V for Vendetta. <laughs> And then Alan Moore's ghost will show up and yell at you. Alan Moore has no legs to stand on for anything. No. He really yeah. doesn't. Well, that's why he stands on his beard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think if you shave away that beard, there's just uh, going to be sort of a black hole? There's not face, there's just more beard or just a hole. <laughs> it's the dimension from which all comes forth. <laughs> that is a terrified thought. Why am I not pondering it? I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Of course, you have to fight the beard to shave it off first. <laughs> it will consume you. I hear it's armed. Who would win in a crazy beard fight, Alan Moore or Frank Miller? George Martin will show up and dragons will <laughs> just kill everyone. I yes. think Frank Miller would probably just end up weeping and masturbating in a corner and Alan Moore would write a story about it. <laughs> oh, that's but with more rape. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Frank Miller would be raped by Alan Moore's beard. <laughs> oh, I think we just went. I'm just losing myself in that joke. Uh, I think this is the. Per- I'm the perfect the- person to have on for these this material, aren't I? You you exactly are, Noel. And I don't think we can top this at this point. So I think we've also reached the the end of our 
list of things to talk about. Yeah. Which is why we're now talking about beards. beards. May I recommend a couple YA novels with fairy tale themes? Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay, there's... Um, well, I already mentioned Sisters Read by Jackson Pierce, which I didn't like, but Approach with Caution, if it's your thing. Uh, one that's always stuck out in my mind is Ash by Melinda Lowe, which is a lesbian retelling of Cinderella. Um, I didn't like it as much the second time I read it, but it does have a very um, interesting relationship at the centre of it. Um, and the world that she created, sort of a combination of myth, um, mythos, including Asian-inspired mythos, which I'd never really seen before in this sort of tale. So I would really recommend that. There's also a sequel called Huntress, which I haven't read, but I've been told is better. And there's one which is currently very big. Um, it's on, this sequel just came out and is in the bestseller list of the New York Times. And it's Marissa Meyer's Cinder series. And it's I've been told it's been inspired by Sailor Moon, but I've never actually seen Sailor Moon, so I can't... Oh, that makes me curious. Okay. Um, basically, it's set on the moon in a place called New Beijing, and Cinderella is half cyborg, and there's princes, and there's battles and politics, and all that good stuff. And the sequel is called Scarlet, and it's about Little Red Riding Hood, and then there, I believe Rapunzel is going to show up in one of the other books. But those ones, it's one of those instances where the hype actually. I actually enjoyed it. Usually when a book comes really hyped, I just sort of immediately turn off and tell everyone to go away. But <laughs> and this I really is why we get along so well. And I have just I'm bought a copy of Cinder now. I that's good as a recommend. Basically, my recommendation for why is you know how I hate everything. I didn't hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I read um, Spindle's End by Robin McKinley a couple years ago. It's a variation on Sleeping Beauty. Which I can't remember anything about it except that I really, really liked it. Robin McKinley's Which... actually written some uh, quite a few um, yeah fairy tale adaptations. I haven't read Spindle's Ed, but I have read Beauty, which is her version of Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should. Um, which is very interesting. Is it better than Beastly? <laughs> I haven't read that. <laughs> uh, there have been a, a fair number of romance novel versions of Beauty and the Beast, some of which are better than others. I Usually the falling down point is like trying to figure out how to make the hero beastly and then not. So, and but still so, sexy? But still sexy! And none and of them have done it better than the Ron Perlman show. And... Is anyone watching the CW version? Oh, God, no. no. My mom was a huge fan of the old Ron Perlman, Linda Hamilton one, so she's oh, tried watching the CW one, and she just yelled at it for an hour. Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> oh, the trailer that, just made me laugh. That reminds me of uh, the Beauty and the Beast are really funny in fables because they're in, like, marriage counseling because, every, any, like, they've been married for so long, and any time she gets mad at him and falls a little bit out of love with him, he turns back into a beast. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> yeah. really funny. <laughs> awesome <laughs> and I, lo- I love that yeah there was a scenes where they start having an argument and he just slowly starts mutating into a <laughs> sorry didn't I, know, I think that, there's that, one that's an interesting curse clause not only does she have to fall in love with you she has, she has to, to stay. stay in love with you yeah <laughs> and i read the fairy rose by kaylin gow Good for you. I'll probably stick a review on good if you're going to read any kind of fairy tale adaptation you're going to have to read angela carter I Imagine actually have. all of the fairy tales were taken and rewritten by a crazy feminist. <laughs> I, I it's amazing. Have, I, I haven't watched the movie version of what was it, Company of Wolves? Oh, Company of Wolves is amazing. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen that, but I have read the book 
that it the, the original short stories in. So I have read like her Bluebeard and all of her various short stories. And well, you can watch the movie Company of Wolves. Um, it's directed by Neil Jordan. I actually it have the DVD. Crazy Grandfather Angela Lansbury. It's incredibly <laughs> sexual. It's incredibly atmospheric. And speaking it's not of, one you should be watching at the age of 14. Like speaking of incredibly sexual, Noel, you and I know this. Uh, was it <laughs> Anne Rice who. Yes, I know what yes. I would know. Was it yes. Anne Rice? Or, yes, the Sleeping, yes. The Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping sex Beauty. Books. Yes. yes, that was Anne Rice. That's Anne Rice. Just, yeah. You can now buy them that with was... 50 Sheets of Greystale covers in the UK. Oh, God. <laughs> Just don't. That, that was my introduction to BDSM erotica. <laughs> Dad, if you're listening to this, you may want to turn this off right now. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love crazy Anne Rice. Yeah. Anne Rice. She inspired me to tie my penis to my neck. Good night, everybody. <laughs> that is not going to be the the. Title. And then she found Christ. Back back for the day. <laughs> yeah, but she's gone back to writing about werewolves now. So. And then she found Christ, and then she lost Christ. Yeah. Oh, she lost him again. Okay. Yeah, so she's gone back to writing. It didn't prove as profitable to find him. I I imagine. Well, well or the thing Christ, is, she found she him, but then the she became very disillusioned with the, like the actual institution of the church, so she fell back out of it. Oh, God. So she only wrote. I think one volume of her books of Jesus. She made it to two. Uh-huh. She made it to but two. Okay. She's, back to she's writing about angels as well, which I haven't read, but I've been told they're not very good. Um, and I have friends where... who are big fans of her work. I just haven't read any of it yet. Or the only one I tried reading was her mummy one, but it wasn't very good. But then I hear from most people, yeah, that's the bad one. I haven't read Vampire Chronicles in years. I think I got to about. Did I finish the entire series? I think I read most of them. And then it just started getting weirder and weirder. And then there was this whole thing with tampons. And then Jesus came into it again. And then yeah. you just got the feeling that she sacked her editor. And you could tell that the work just declined in quality dramatically once that happened. And I do love Interview with the Vampire, the movie. Mm-hmm. Which I, I hold up as that is the definitive vampire movie. Not in terms of it's the best one. But it it probably covers vampires from the most angles within one movie. Hmm. That's I would agree with well. that. I would agree oh. with that. I I do remember the. This is my early days of finding other geeks online. I was on BBS's back in the day, in the days when the internet would screech, and we liked it. Ah, uh, the old AOL days. Yeah, I still that. have my AOL account. I still get you would. for that account. Yeah. You would. You would. And oh, no. I I remember the emo fights between the emo kids. Tom Cruise cannot possibly be the stat. He can't act. And it's like, no, we know he can act. We all saw him do it in Born in the Fourth of July. He just doesn't do it often. <laughs> Actually, him playing Lestat is one of the few instances where I can see him playing a character and not just being Tom Cruise, the movie star. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. He does so well. Uh, he can when he wants yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, but I I remember the, I think it was like 14 or 15 year old me watching these arguments rail on the BBS board. I mean, this is even pre-AOL. Mm-hmm. On the BBS boards, it was ridiculous. Plus some dude saying, well, I refuse to watch that movie because... Uh, I am a vampire, and this is not a thing. I, the, I, this is not a thing I approve of. As he's standing in a beam of sunlight. My husband worked with a guy who thought he was a vampire. Uh, in the U.S. Navy. 
<laughs> Naturally. He refused to come to work during the day and hung from the rafters, I believe. Interview oh. with a vampire. Your military people, your tax vampire. dollars at work. Well. A vampire film not being endorsed by real vampires makes me want to see it more. Because <laughs> how bad does it have to be to raise the ire of a real, real vampire? <laughs> Forever Night, people. The best vampire show. The end. <laughs> You're goddamn right. You are so right. I'm not uh, even like. Yeah, I saw the watered down one called. What, what was it? Um, Bloods. It was a Canadian show done a few years ago. Oh, I can't remember its name. Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. The one with the cop who teams yeah, up with the vampire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know that show. No, Forever Night. Forever the Night. end, people. We're wandering way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Elena, do you have a tech rec for us this week? Month? Day? Uh, Hi, now? Yes, I do. Well, okay. I know that the appropriate geeky thing to do would be to recommend something like the Comixology app. I don't use it. I know people who love it. And I believe it has now French content, which a friend of mine is using. Like, he's reading comics he knows just to practice his French. I, however, don't use it, so I can't recommend it. So I'm just going to do something random. Rough Draft. If If you're a writer or if you just like writing and maybe word... You know, it's great, but it, it's not the best creative atmosphere for you. Rough Draft is a free program um, that it, it's just a great user interface for organizing your writing. So if you're looking for uh, a small, light, free alternative, I will link it in the show notes. I enjoy it a lot. It's uh, whether you're writing fanfic or, you know, or your own original works or even blog posts. Um, it's, it's a great little program to use. Day, the that end. sounds great. And they all lived happily ever after. And they all lived happily what? ever after. All right, so this has been episode five of Anglophies. Thank you, no. Anglo Thank you for having me <laughs> and putting welcome. up with me and not chasing me away with torches and pit- pitchforks. It's always a disturbing pleasure. <laughs> By the way, Kaylee, uh, we have a, a I Hate Love remakes coming up this week, and then your episode is next on the docket. Oh, I remember recording that. When did we record yeah. that? A while ago. That was during the era where I didn't get anything done. <laughs> but I've restructured my schedule, so we're going to try and get episodes out like every three weeks or so. And Everyone then Alina, in. we're talking about cat people. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then Alina and Raiden, we have you on the schedule. Raiden, probably at the end of summer. Alina, this time next year. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have, we have someone who wanted to do the film uh, The Man Who Loved Women, where Burt Reynolds sleeps with a lot of women. And you wanted to do the women. So we figured, well, why don't we do them back to back? We'll do the women followed by the man who loved women. Oh, that's the one I wanted to be on. That's right. Yeah, yeah you discussed that with me about seven months ago. I it's, hate love remakes, people. Quick plug for uh, a sister podcast. It's not fast, but it's decent when it comes. Wait. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that has been episode five. <laughs> I didn't even intend that euphemism. <laughs> I think that was the Dana signal right there. That was one of my few unintended ones. Dana just went, what? You've been a wonderful audience. We love you. We love you. And good night. (laughs) Good night. Don't eat the fucking candy. (laughs) You will get magical diabetes. You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.